0: here we go welcome to week 14 of the no Puts right. given podcast <laughs> why what's wrong with that 14, episode episode 14
1: oh 14
0: oh no, it's,
1: it's it's harder than it looks isn't
0: it it is it is <laughs> welcome to episode 14 no Puts given podcast here we got a lot of good stuff on the show today let's see uh new driver testing program might heard something about that good shot of the truth we're gonna shoot some truth, Uh, coolest ping invention, Mm. most wanted wanted utility iron coming at you, and Titleist Contest, so full slate of good stuff. Also, Chris Nicholas here. Chris Nicholas here. That's me. I am sponsored by McConnell's Ice Cream, uh, courtesy of them arriving on the show today, and uh, normally say let's get it, so let's go get it. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So we're going to start off with the new driver testing program
2: on the PGA Tour. Uh, for anybody out there that hasn't heard, obviously they probably heard about the Xander Shoffley incident. And if not, uh, there was a big stir caused by some non-conforming drivers possibly being on tour in the testing program that had been in place up to that point. And now that has changed. So obviously that was kind of a black eye on, you know, the industry is kind of a whole to uh, to some degree. So looks like they've come out with uh, a fix of some sort. Mm-hmm. And how that looks is going to be... A couple of differences are this. So instead of testing from a drawer, basically, on the PGA Tour vans, they're going to be uh, directly pulling it from the players' bags. And I can see Tony is ready to I go mean, off on that.
3: I I've... <laughs> <laughs> all I all it's just going to be so easy to to get around that um that issue anyway for the manufacturers they'll put in a driver that they think is what well, they know is going to pass and then come Wednesday evening when they'll go out and practice a little bit more they're going to put the real one back in.
2: What do you think Tony do you think it's a uh, you know fail like how how accurate is this going to be of a representation of what's real? In players' bags, and you
1: know. I don't know. It just it seems way too overly complicated, and and I think you, you have to kind of, I guess the nobility in it, right? If you want to use look at it that way, is that is that the the tour is is trying to prevent conforming drivers from getting into play. They're not necessarily trying to catch and punish anybody. They just want to stop it from happening. So they've got this, you know. All right, we're gonna. We're gonna randomly test, sort of like the NFL supposedly drug tests, and then if you, uh, we've got this green, yellow, red system. If it's if it's green, you're great. If it's yellow, hey, you can use it, but know that you're getting close. And then if it's red, uh, this is the this is the one I really enjoy. Uh, if it's red, it's deemed non-conforming or damaged. You can't use it, so we're going to give it to the manufacturer's representat- uh, representative that's in the trailer with you, so you don't even get it back now. Of course, those guys could just walk out of the trailer and the manufacturer's rep could hand it right back to the player. And as far as they've stated, right, there's no sort of nothing that, that's that been announced that's also like, and also, you know, after the tournament, we're going to check and make sure that the driver we tested is actually the one that you used. Or, Great point. You know, there was so no if switching or anything like that. So it's. Like what the hell? What's, if you've got what's, a non actually the point.
2: If you've got a non-conforming driver, should that thing not just be pulled? The USGA should take that driver permanently. Correct.
1: Well, it's, I mean, it's I, I, don't, now. I don't know. Wait, like, my, <laughs> my. I think the bigger issue for me is great. You're you're testing what is being used or or what a guy hands you prior to competition, but. But where is your documented procedures? Right. Let's where's the announcement? Where's the documented procedures for how you're actually going to police this? Right. Because we're sort of like the I I guess the thinking is, hey, right. Golf is a game of integrity and nobody would intentionally cheat or nobody would intentionally use non-conforming equipment. Of course, we got to this point where where, we're ramping up the testing. And and this isn't Sandra Shoffley. Let's be clear about this. But certainly there were some grumblings in, in years past about manufacturers intentionally offering and slipping players non-conforming drivers to be used in tournaments so if if the whole if the problem starts with hey guys are using non-conforming drivers in a competition i don't know how you arrive necessarily at a full and complete solution by saying hey we're going to test drivers prior to the competition and then after the competition if we're doing anything at all we're not letting anybody know about it because my god we want to keep everything as secretive as we possibly can in terms of who maybe had a non-conforming driver what the how close they were to the ct limit right we're not reporting player names we're not report- reporting the numbers the, the ct numbers We're everything is completely hush hush and again we don't know what testing actually could take place or will take place after an actual tournament to ensure that non-conforming drivers weren't used in said tournament. Hold hold on, hold on, hold on, hold
2: on. on, on. (laughs) The PGA Tour (laughs) and USGA... Please, I'll give you Tony's cell phone number after the episode. <laughs> Call Tony.
3: Oh he has God. he
0: has the solution for the
3: problem. Ta- tell me how you really feel, Tony.
4: <laughs> <laughs> like
0: well, ten, we, ten minutes later. Well, we didn't we didn't even get to human error factors, tolerances. Are the machines going to well, be no, the so same? All of that stuff that good. you and I had talked about. Was like, well, hold on. <laughs> you know how are we going to even start to account for variabilities in a process that's run by humans? And how much wiggle room do we have in there? That part of the Shoffley story right was you had different calibrations or you had different measurements and it failed one passed mm-hmm. another so if it's going to be such a fine line how do you even start to address that and we like I said we didn't even get there in that part of it oh he's well, we, the yellow light
1: that that's that yellow <laughs> the traffic yellow. the so, traffic light in england okay hold on yeah, back up back up, up back up
2: back up is this better than what it was before
1: no, it's just different and more complicated and, and sort of sort of makes it look like hey we we know there's a problem, we're addressing it by running around in a freaking circle.
0: Perceptually like it's better then. Perceptually I, I think people look and say, Oh, they're yeah, testing I, I guess it, you know.
1: If you don't read through it, you're like, oh, yes, yeah, very good, excellent. Well done, <laughs> gents.
3: Well, I think people just wanna know that they're trying to they identified it and they wanna they, they're trying to fix it. That's I think what people wanna see.
1: Well, yeah. So they're again, they're they're trying to prevent something, but there doesn't seem to be any sort of process in place to verify that that these drivers are any driver, right? I mean, because if you're not randomly selected, you could conceivably have a non-conforming driver in play. You could use that driver again, conceivably, to win a tournament. And since we're not doing any sort of post-tournament checks to verify that the winners' drivers are the top five or ten. Or however deep you want to go, we're actually all conforming. And again, this is all before we start talking about other equipment stuff that could be non-conforming, right? Wedge groups, golf balls, I mean any number no of things. Joke.
4: Mm-hmm. It's sort of
1: just like, hey, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hand a few drivers and you know, if uh, if you're I, I think the way they're written if, I believe the way it's written, if you're above the 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 number, right, that 239 number, if you're above that but under our tolerance number, two fifty seven that's where you get the yellow and the reality is i think probably every driver they test is going to be in that get that yellow designation because nobody wants to be at 239 and and leave almost 20 ct points (coughs) potentially on the table so it's almost you know what, what what's the real point of yellow except maybe to internally document exactly what percentage of drivers are above 239 which on tour Reasonably, I would expect
2: to be 100%. Hey, and if you want an illegal driver out there, FYI, just anyone out there listening, worldshottestdriver.com can shave your face down and get you way more CT points than this.
3: Yeah. I might get that.
4: <laughs> you don't need it, man. <laughs> yeah, if, there's, if I if could drive 5 got five.
1: It's the guy who hits it three thirty. I can drive par fives <laughs> now, you know.
2: You want to beat Jamie Sadlowski next year at the PGA Show?
1: You know mm-hmm. what? I might train for it. I might, This is going to be a new battle.
2: <clears throat> you got the basics I mean, that, for it. That's
1: actually a good follow-up. Can Harry's non-conforming driver beat Jamie Sadlowski? <laughs> we 42.
3: should buy. We should buy one and then go. And we test have it. one. We do.
2: That jet yeah. speed that's sitting on the shelf. All right, we're, we we're been bringing that to the actually. Actually, we don't. We I gave that to my mother-in-law because she wanted some more distance off the tee. I said, <laughs> try this.
1: Because <laughs> you wanted to get her in trouble with the USDA. <laughs> yes.
2: All right, so as you can see, uh, Sam is in place of Harry, not well. We have Hurricane Dorian literally right outside right now, and we're doing umbrella testing. We're testing in hurricane conditions. So Harry's out there in the hurricane, uh, you know, Checking to see if Shed Rain can beat Gus Buster this year. What do you think?
4: Well, I can't say (laughs) no. I thought you were out there testing in the hurricane. (laughs) God, you're quick, man. How would you do that?
2: (laughs) No, but Harry's going to go out there and test the hurricane. Um, Anyway, next up is Shot of the Truth. And this week we are talking max performance versus max consistency. And this is something that doesn't have a whole lot of sexiness to it but is something that I think is happening in the golf industry and not a lot of golfers hear about it because it's not a real marketable term right now uh, but anyway we're adding a new component to our wedge test and uh, that will be released in a couple of weeks that talk that will show some level of who is doing a more consistent job on pretty much every shot that or more shots that you're going to encounter on the on the golf course right yep so that got us talking about max consistency and what that means is you know back when they changed the wedge groove rule all the wedge companies came out and were talking about how they wanted to get everybody back to that number but really what people should be paying more attention to across the board not just wedges drivers everything is consistency more than maximum performance so i'll give you a couple examples ping and mizuno seem to be doing a really good job Not at marketing this, but at including this in their golf club design in regards to consistency. So, for example, with Ping, their new wedge grooves, wet, dry, perform fairly similarly. And in early testing, we're already seeing that a lot of wedges huge drop off when there's a little bit of moisture involved in the shot. Uh, Let's take drivers, for example. Uh, I remember back to the TaylorMade AeroBurner. You remember that Tony? Where damn was that thing long? But man, you missed it by just a you know a small amount. And you know everybody talks forgiveness or accuracy kind of left to right, right? I'm more interested or just as interested as the act of forgiveness front to back. So yes, it will go 285 yards, but if you miss hit it and it goes 240, that 40 yard circle is not what you're looking for. So when you hit a ping driver, generally. What you see is 280, but then when you miss it, it, 272, uh, that circle's a lot tighter, right? So consistency of ball speed, consistency of distance, consistency of spin numbers, consistency of launch angle, all those things aren't sexy in a launch monitor battle when you're there getting fit. But when you hit thousands of shots, they play out really importantly downrange and start becoming – real performance. Right. So let's talk about that. Uh, Chris, you know, we discussed it obviously before the show started, but what are your thoughts on that?
0: You know, and what do you think? Yeah, I think it, it's a paradigm shift. And so I think the bigger point is how do we get consumers to start understanding, that that is really that important. Um, it makes makes me go back and think at, uh, at Tony's course, a couple of the par 3s they're really easy par threes as long as you hit the green. And, you know, we've seen that now with Title's new T series, you know, replacing the AP series. They're talking about distance, dispersion, <clears throat> descent angle as part of the fitting metrics, right? And then we've seen that also with Mizuno um, in their T20 series wedges, how – they want the spin to be commensurate regardless of you're coming out of the rough. Is it wet? Is it dry? Is it a buried lie, et cetera? Um, and like you said, the hard part about it, that's not very sexy. It doesn't, you know, you you put that on a banner and people go, oh, sexy the, most, the most consistent irons in golf. Well, think about it,
4: right? You know? When a
2: guy goes to get fit for a driver or a set of irons, what one metric does he give a shit about? Distance. Distance. That's it. And not just like how far did these two irons go? It's how far did one shot go? And whichever one won by one shot, like I'll never forget. I was at PSG and we were getting fit and I was hitting a seven iron, 217 yards. Right. And guy walks by and says, Hey, bend that one degree stronger. I I don't need any more distance out of 217. I just want 217 every shot. Over and over and over. Yeah. And that is the difference. I think Tony and I talk about it all the time. It's, the people that are winning are the are the companies that are evolutionary not revolutionarys tech isn't going to be happening very often anymore it's just not no. because of the limits that are set right so then it becomes all right everybody's pushed this limit who can be at that limit every shot and consistently near that limit right mm-hmm. and that those are the companies that are winning, in my opinion. It's kind of like I always analogize the 50 meters, you know, swimming event with uh, what's his name, and I've said it
0: before, Michael Phelps. Phelps, he always yeah. wins by like a microsecond, right? But how is it that that guy always, always wins win.
2: by a microsecond?
0: Yeah, and that I mean, to that point, it makes me think of you know a couple of good examples um, like Ping with the LST, the 410. They didn't have that driver ready to come out at the same time as the rest of the series because. Frankly, it was really hard to beat the 400 LST. It was a fantastic driver. They they
5: admitted that in the boardroom when we were talking about
0: it. And they were very open about it, right? Like, we we legitimately couldn't make something better. And so when you finally saw that come out in, what was it, June, July, um, the biggest change was a couple additional fitting metrics to allow the club to be fit a little bit flatter. Mm -hmm. That's not revolutionary. It's evolutionary. And it's that little... Difference that might allow somebody to get that front back dispersion or the left right dispersion dialed in a little bit Sam more, was, which
2: is huge. Sam was fitting me for that 410 LST one day and he just cranked down the flat life fitting that was new on the driver and immediately boom, you know. So it's making that driver whatever percentage better, right? 1% better, right? Um, to 5% better. It's the stuff that they're, I, I love paying for this and this isn't a sponsored, you know. No putts given, so I don't want to hear this from anybody, but I love Ping. You will, you will. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I love Ping, man, because they just, they don't, they're not looking to market something fancy. They're no. doing things behind the scenes that are just, no one would think of, and even if it makes them 1% better, the product, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to do that, you know, and it's not even marketed. Some of these things are never even told to consumers. Right, like you don't have the shirt like, hey, we have flatter lies. no or we stick our stickers <laughs> under our putter grips so you don't you know you're not distracted when you look down them. So right. you know Tony, what do you think like which companies do you see that are doing a good job about evolutionarily designing product to be more consistent rather than maximizing just one shot.
1: Well, I think I think maybe we we don't have the full picture necessarily of of who's doing all of the little things, right? Because these little things aren't aren't particularly sexy, so if you're you know if you're if you're one of the bigger companies right callaway is probably the best example right now like the little thing isn't even worth talking about because you know flash face right like that's like we've got this new revolutionary face design that's going to change everything in everything moving forward forever right it's it's that kind of that's that's kind of where the bigger companies are and, and not that ping is a small company but you know they're if you took a look at market share and things like that they're definitely not callaway but it it is so and again, I think I think ping, you're probably right, is a great example. You know, it's just little tiny little things that are easy to gloss over in a in a press release, for example. So you know, hey, we, we put the sticker under on the underside of the putter shaft or moved it up the putter shaft so your eyes don't don't shift to that while you're standing over the ball because we found that really weird thing while we were using, you know, our special goggles in testing or you know, the one that the one that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately is, is the hydro pearl finish that they're using on, on their irons and wedges, right? Increased hydrophobicity, meaning that it repels the water. The water doesn't beat, it runs off and you know, you're sort of okay, cool story, bro, right? But uh, that's not even something
5: that consumers think about when they when they go to play, like if if you pull ten golfers, how many of them actually know that their ball performs differently when it's eight o'clock in the morning and there's still dew on the ground versus three o'clock in the afternoon? Well, if I
2: had to guess, it'd be twenty five percent. That's what one, I'm one to two. I yeah, mean, after if that. the ball,
5: personally, after the ball test, I, we saw with the wet wedge test how much it changed. And now, anytime I go out on a Saturday morning, I'm so cognizant. I make sure that my wedge face is dry, and I'm well, making sure that I'm trying to control variables
2: perfect example that leads me into what we're doing right now, which is wet versus dry wedge testing, right? We're not going to give the names out yet until we're done testing, but in early testing, there are wedges that let's say wet versus dry that perform very similarly to each other, and there are wedges that when you add even the slightest bit of water to the scenario, the performance dramatically changes and plummets, you know? And that's from... Some of
1: those numbers are like the... Did the water fill in the grooves completely? Like, what happened
2: here? Yeah, so, yeah, so, and last time I checked, golf has played in a lot of different conditions. Right. So, this gets back to the story of maximizing consistency versus maximizing what looks cool, bro, and that's (laughs) this thing go really far, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Sam is in the test facility every day seeing this, and... Sees the products that are consistent standard deviation, which, you know, is a fancy word for nobody gives a shit except us, probably. But (laughs) those things really matter, you know, and it's the small things that no one's going to know about or no one's going to really care about. But I think eventually there's going to be a shift that changes towards that, because that is what we are starting to see more on a yearly basis of the improvements we see from the companies providing new product for Mm -hmm. testing, they're not getting longer. They're getting more consistent, the good ones. And the ones that are winning our testing aren't the ones that are flash in the pan marketing stuff. It is quietly just deadly assassins on consistency. And after 10,000 shots, like I said, downrange, that's starting to show up as winning, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I
1: think think a fantastic example, right? Because we've talked to, Quite a bit about ping, but if you look at our driver test, is, is kind of a different way to look at it, right? So, Callaway, Epic Flash, Sub Zero won that test, right? Mm-hmm. And if we go back and we look at the data, it's not because it was significantly longer than anything else, right? It, you know, by the numbers, I it was. I think it was one of the longest, but certainly it wasn't like you know, holy shit, this thing just mm-hmm. obliterated the field. It won because guys hit it consistently straight. Like you know, the the correlation we found with strokes gained in that particular test was with fairway percentage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the kind of the ripple there, we think of strokes gained as well. You know, the farther you can get it down the fairway or, or up the golf course, that then then the better it is, and that's that's true when you're comparing uh, Dustin Johnson to Zach Johnson. But at an individual level, where where my capacity to create different distance differences between drivers is is maybe an average of five yards if i'm reasonably well fit for everything maybe five yards not even it really comes down to which one i hit straight and consistently you know consistently straight most often and that's that's a tough sell so what i find myself wondering is you know in a lot of cases would golfers be you know i guess not would they it's it's how much better served would a golfer be if he lost you know what's the cutoff point if I could lose X yards off the tee, but cut my standard deviations for key metrics in half, how much better off would it would that be on the scorecard?
5: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, case it's in point. that's why I yeah. play cavity back irons and not blades because they're more. I'm not going to hit the center of the club face all the time. I'm a plus two handicap, but I know that my ball speed consistently is higher.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think, and to your point, Tony, I think one of the questions we have to answer then is, or at least think about is take the Callaway uh, for example, people see that that you know, that club won our driver test and I would imagine correlate the flash face technology with some of those results. But as you said, that really wasn't the reason it won. It won because of the consistency that it offered, not necessarily what the first marketing pitch is from Callaway. And so we were
2: talking about that earlier when when readers come to my golf spy and look at the driver test, you were like they come down and go, Well this is the longest and you know don't pay attention to that as much because it really is, it's hard. We're in a difficult place right now where we collect all this data and what we show you isn't the truth of why things win. But we know we have to show you all this data, but right. we have these protocols and kind of you know, testing algorithms, however you want to put it, on what we've defined as being a better club performance uh performing club for every golfer and we have a theory on why that is right which doesn't directly correlate to hey man this is the longest club right there's all these other factors and consistency you know is one of them for sure so just a reminder last time i checked all golfers miss miss hit right so all golfers need more consistent products Mm -hmm. uh, not just ones that perform when you dead nut one right on the screws you know yeah well, like,
1: dead nut one in, in, in and i guess from a from a fitting perspective right like and, and not always in dry conditions and you know we we can poke holes in, in some of what we do and we can poke holes in, in fitting paradigms and things like that but i mean there there are certain realities here so i'd be curious if anybody listening to this in their fitting whether it be for an iron or a wedge for example has ever you know hit their series of shots and gone all right that was awesome now can we go you know see how this performs when when it gets a little bit of moisture on it right because that that's just typically not something we do and yet you know that's the kind of thing we're starting to see right the the ping finish story has been around for a couple years mizuno now with its its new grooves to channel water i would hope Desperately hope based on what we saw in the ball test that somebody is is working on a cover material for a golf ball That can maintain softness maintain spin and channel more water off of the ball because all of these things are, are Tremendously important when you get on out on the golf course, especially in the morning like like Sam mentions And it's just it's it's never a consideration and that may be because we sort of assume that hey everything is equal but But that's not the case
2: Well, let's put some hard numbers on this real quick, right? So the average golfer out there or golfers listening can start to understand some of the ramifications of this. The two factors, Sam, spin and launch angle, right? Give me a percentage change, dry versus wet, that you've seen so far,
0: from good to bad.
5: Yeah, so in fooling around with some testing protocols, um, testing a bunch of different wedges, both wet and dry, Personally, I saw in some wedges 5 and 6 degrees, I think it was. Increased uh, launch. Increased launch angle. And then, gosh, I want to say it was in the 2000s, 2 or 3,000s yeah, it was, for it was. Screen.
1: It was somewhere around... 50%. And we have to go back and crunch it. It was it was six sixty five to seventy five percent reduction in spin. I think yeah. on the on the terrible end of that. I mean, All right, so think about that. that. And that was yeah. that was in Sam's super limited. Hey, let's just try a few and see if this is this is worth doing a bigger test on. And so we wet ball. looked at that number and went, "Holy shit! Yeah, we need to really look at this."
2: So Pick dry it. dry ball sixty yard shot. Okay,
1: seventy higher 100.
2: higher spin, lower launch, mm-hmm. right? Ball gets wet for not all wedges but for some wedges 65 percent reduction in spin and about a 25 to 30 reduc- percent or increase in launch angle
5: Well think about it like this if you're if I'm hitting a wedge from 60 yards into a green and I'm getting seven and a half eight thousand rpms of spin and then we reduce that by 65 percent. We're coming in with driver spin
0: yeah like 3200 mm-hmm. yeah
5: I mean high driver spin so yeah. three would spin which means
0: you're green. not going to hold the green.
5: At tony of, it ain't it ain't gonna go anywhere near the hole i can tell you that
2: yeah so well i just don't think the average person understands that so that's what we're kind of talking about today in shot of the truth i just hope like tony said how many golfers out there have gone into a fitting and one looked at anything other than distance start doing that start looking at you know holding your fitter accountable to some other numbers at least maybe one more um, and tony if you had one thing to tell golfers out there that are going to get fit that would not just look at distance, what would the other most important factor be?
1: So the thing I say all the time, right, is you want to look for small numbers and small circles. And what that means is not you not every launch monitor or the ones that I'm aware of anyway, that, that a real fitter would use, will show you the standard deviation of key metrics. So not only how far is it going, but an idea of how consistently is it going far, which I think is more important or you know, delivery of the club, just whatever is important, look at that standard deviation. And then again, every launch monitor will give you an elliptical downrange pattern that kind of shows your shot cluster. And the smaller that cluster gets, the more consistent, at least the expectation, right? Doesn't always translate, but hopefully, you know, good fitter, it's going to translate to the courses as a more consistent dispersion pattern. Just give Uh, golfers an
2: idea. So take drivers and irons. How many shots should a guy that's going to get fit for a driver, let's say doing a head-to-head hit for each driver, to get a good enough baseline?
1: Oh, you know, everybody we've worked with has always told us ten to twelve good shots. Now that's a fitting scenario is a little bit different in that your a good fitter is going to be able to throw something out pretty quickly. So most fitters will start with four or five. But you know what I what I like to do when I fit guys is is sort of toss what's not working and, and sort of just pare it down. And then when you get to the to a couple things that you know are, are in the ballpark, that's where you really start to spend some time and try and get a larger sample size. But the ripple there, too, is in a fitting uh, scenario. If you're if you're starting from a broad, wide space and you've got to narrow and narrow and narrow, you can get to the point where fatigue gets to be an issue pretty quickly. No, so, I'm saying,
2: like, once they've narrowed it down to a head-to-head scenario, 10 to 12 shots, Correct.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean that again that's what I like to use that's what that's what the guys in uh, in Carlsbad and Phoenix and everywhere else we've talked to say that you know that's what they want to see from a from an R&D testing perspective and again like if 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 that's the number that, that the industry relies on I think it makes sense in a fitting scenario with the caveat being like yeah as you get deeper into it fatigue becomes an issue and it may not always be possible but yeah that's what that's what I like
5: yeah. yeah, and sometimes fitters will go in. Like I've been to a driver fitting before, and I remember we were hitting a bunch of different shafts, and we narrowed down the head that I wanted, and then we started working through shafts. And if I hit one, I mean, remotely, if, he was like, if you don't catch it dead nuts, I'm going to delete it. But at the end of the day, I, I want to see those numbers that aren't dead nuts because I know that there's going to be a time I'm going to hit a driver that it's, isn't. That's what right we always it. say.
2: We want to, in our testing, right? we have an outlier detection system that is what its job is to do is to, to take away the golfer's ability and make it about the club. Right. But you have to keep the miss, some of the misses, you know, terrible Mm -hmm. misses are your fault. Right. Right. But you want to know which ones are not your fault that the club had influence on. Right. So if you miss it at just a little bit, if he throws that, we know definitively that some clubs perform better on you know, yeah. a full face rather than just dead center shots, right? So you want to know that because golfers miss it.
5: Yeah. When I, when, uh, golfers from our test group come in and say, Hey, you know, what three would, did I test best with? It's not, I don't just go to the stat six sheet and say, okay, this is your best one. We, I look at the launch metrics. I look at their ball speed. I look at their standard devs of ball speed, carry consistency, things like that, that matter because I mean, let's be real. Like I said, you're not going to hit every do you golfer. charge.
2: Do you charge for fittings? Uh,
5: testers get complimentary, uh, information. I think that's
2: a good side business for you. What? I mean, seriously, like the fittings that I see you guys doing there compared to the fittings I see in the real world.
5: Well, the reality is like, I mean, how many times have you gone to a fitting and the guy's like, all right, well, this is your best drive on this driver. So we're going to, we're going to look at those numbers. Put it this
2: way. I've never been to a good fitting.
1: Well, and again, it's 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 all about where you go and the yeah. experience and the expertise. And, no, but name and to I a degree, think the, about the, it. the philosophy of the fitter, right? If right. you uh, you know, the, the example I I keep going back to is, is probably the the best fitting experience I've ever had is, is when I did my my TS driver fitting at Titleist with Glenn. Like you, you his his approach is is very similar to what we end up with with our outlier detection yeah. system. Like he's he's not dropping a lot of shots.
4: Like, yeah, but you don't you get those fitting opportunities one, at your local you know, Dix. 60
1: yards right, right. Like, it stays right. in the set because <laughs> when you're on the golf course, you, you don't get to drop that shot, right? Like, yeah, you but you Tony- have to see how a club performs when you miss it because the reality is you're going to miss it. A lot of us are going to miss it just as much as we hit it dead nut center. And if you want to talk about little misses, way more often. So this idea of, like from a fitting perspective, you know, any fitter who says, "Yeah, I'm, I'm really only gonna look at your really good shots," man, that's leave. Just yeah. Leave.
5: Unfortunately, Tony, not all the readers out there, listeners out there, have access to Glenn at TPI. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, Tony forgets that sometimes. You know what I
1: mean? That, well, no, but I'm, certainly Glenn is, is not the only good fitter. You know Glenn by not. a
2: first name that works worse titles. <laughs> I mean, not many people have that ability. Like most people are going but to no, Dicks well, or PJ Superstore. That's,
1: that's where you go to. You know, that's where like the expertise of a, of a Cool Clubs or a Club Champion. Yeah. Let,
2: let me put it to you like this, here. Tony. You remember who this guy was? We were at the PGA Show, and there, this company, which was the biggest company in golf at the time for drivers, had their number one fitter at the PGA Show, fitting people. Bingo! <laughs> there you go. go. Enough said. Enough said. Uh, and that's what I'm talking about. I've never been well, that, a part of I a mean, good fitting.
4: In,
1: in fairness, right? That that's not a true fitting. That let let that's let's see if we can impress oh, these guys okay. with a
2: big number. Oh, but but here's the difference. That's, that's generally what you do reality. for PGA people coming to yeah. the show. But they knew we were a part of the media, and they knew we worked for My Gossweiss. So I said, shouldn't
1: you want to like make sure you do the proper fitting? again it's like let's in that environment right it's like let's let's try and impress let's try and impress the guy we're fitting and anybody who happens to be watching okay. with a big number not you like, say that that's every fitting this.
2: that's every fitting i've ever had
1: that's i mean that's a shame i mean that 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 sucks because there are some some really good fitters who who approach it as you know yeah i can i can find you a club that you're going to hit the longest ball with but that's not going to serve you well on a golf course. Right. And how, no, how can people terrible.
2: get in touch with Glenn?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: at Titleist. At Titleist. Yeah, at that is, uh,
1: <laughs> Not just easier, Glenn. <laughs> easier
5: said than done, I think.
1: <laughs> well, I guess you call Josh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
5: call
0: Josh at Titleist <laughs> to get a hold of oh, Glenn yeah, Josh. at Titleist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> or Josh at New York Golf Center. Flying to yeah. New York City. You, right, mean,
1: you want to talk about a... You want to talk about a good fitter? I don't know how much fitter, how much fitting he's doing himself these days because he's running the place. But yeah, I mean, but that's the kind of guy you need to go to. Like, just I mean, it, I I don't know how we qualify this or qualify fitters, but like just a guy who gets it and understands. Like, yeah, it's it's not just banging the ball as far as you can. It's
5: it's not all smash factor. Smash factor is no, not yeah, the only yeah,
1: thing that matters. <laughs> well, it's almost
0: small like numbers, it's almost yeah. like consumers need like a that. you need like a fitting smoshed it <laughs> you need like a fitting questionnaire like you need to interview your fitter. Wait a minute, didn't we come out with something like that? We did. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that would be helpful though, wouldn't what, it? What like a driver fitting guide to take I, with you? To the- I'd want I'd want everything in the bag, not just a driver fitting guide. But Noted. it's a good start. But it's a good start. Well, yeah.
1: when when you get back from France, Chris, you can get get to work on that.
0: Well, I I will I will I will check in with Glenn at Title. <laughs> well, when I get back from France with Sam. <laughs> well, speaking of good speaking a good fitters, uh, we'll really
2: quickly touch on the fact that I don't know who follows Tony Covey on Twitter, but if you don't, you should. It's entertaining. I follow for, him. He does not follow Sam, but. Um, <laughs> Tony has uh, journaled his career of not the best golf very publicly and uh, which is hey more power to him man because more than I'm willing to do yes. Hashtag truth digest <laughs> yes. yes and he has finally decided to get some lessons from somebody that I think is going to be great for you and if you can tell them who it is and where you're getting them from and kind of the you know people want to know about good fittings this is this is one of the better places you can go probably.
1: Well, well, yeah. No, so yesterday if you live I in went in Bumfuck, New York. Said, what's that?
2: Yeah. If you live in Bumfuck, New York.
4: If, you,
1: if Glenn isn't available.
4: <laughs> no,
1: so yeah, I uh, I did a swing evaluation yesterday, so kind of step one. Uh, and I, I would say probably of of the guys in uh, here in in the studio with us today, Chris Nichol has seen me as my absolute best and my absolute worst. He was with me when I shot an even par 37 on the front, had a uh, Ed McGregor links had a turkey sandwich at the turn, and then shot a what's that work out to a 12 over 47 on the back. Uh, and so that I mean that that's kind of my game right there is, is schizophrenic to say the least. And so. I decided it was time to do something about it. Uh, and so I, I scheduled step one swing evaluation with Anders Matson, who was formerly at, at Saratoga National, uh, which is kind of the fancy place around here. Uh, he's a Golf Channel Academy guy as well. He's got a new studio in Saratoga Springs that, that just opened up. So um, it was an opportunity to go and check out the studio and kind of have him take a look at my swing and, and begin the process of, of really overhauling things from, from the ground up. So really, I, it was, I enjoyed it, went out and tried to, it's amazing how difficult it is to, to implement things on the golf course immediately right afterwards. Um, uh, but step in the right direction. I'm going to work on kind of the, what he gave me day one for a week or so, and then get in and, and start a, a long, exhaustive series of lessons. I think that's the plan,
2: man. Um, smart guy, smart approach. Um, uh, we've known him for a few years and like his philosophies and I wish Haney was around because mm-hmm. there's a TV show in this. There's the Haney Project. <laughs> I mean, th- this is this is definitely. I don't that know road. that the project, the word project, is enough to
5: describe.
0: What do you call it? God, I uh, <sighs> the, the Haney overhaul, the Haney. <laughs>
2: is that is that for Hank
0: Haney or for
2: Haney Haney
5: makeover? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, Tony, I think you're, right, I think you're right. moving in the right direction. And I, like you, I heard you say it's amazing how hard it is to implement swing thoughts immediately on the golf course. And here I am getting crap from you over text <laughs> matches over the weekend because you shot 100 after I helped you with your setup.
1: Well, you, you didn't help, obviously.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I,
0: I do think Tony's a perfect example for this because, you know, we can probably all benefit from lessons. And all benefit yeah. from him playing golf better. All be- well, we can all benefit. <laughs>
5: Absolutely, at, at that annual member guest, I think you could benefit from him playing better. As well, I, he he could benefit well, from not, me not playing anything, a little bit better
1: it, too. Yeah, I was gonna say at the member guest, I would benefit from Chris playing a little
0: bit. better. it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a symbiotic thing. So I'll take lessons too, maybe. You're gonna loot,
2: then, uh, You're gonna uh, <laughs> uh, vicariously live through Tony's improvements, and hopefully through osmosis, get some of those benefits. Without yeah. a doubt. No,
5: no, right. no, I'm taking on Chris as my student. We're, oh. doing, we're doing some online work together.
0: Oh, I'm going to yeah, shoot 100. T- I'll shoot 100 next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When, so.
1: uh, when, uh, when we were just like as we were starting up, I, you know, as a, the previous student cleared the bay, I walked in, put my bag down, and said, Anders, I'm here to end your career. <laughs> so
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. All right. Um, on to the next thing. We talked a little bit more uh, earlier about Ping and just, I love their philosophy, man. Like, I love the company i love the people that work there i just they just get they do it right you know in my opinion and in today's time there's a lot of people doing things for the wrong reasons and i think ping for
1: (coughs) shady as fuck um, yeah
2: (laughs) i think for umpteen years now uh ping has just done it right and um i have this book here for anybody that can see and nice small book. Yeah. Quick reading. Light, light Quick reading. reading. Yeah. It's called In the... What's that?
1: What's the low, low price on that book?
2: I have no idea because they sent it to some media, which I'm grateful for because there's another book for anybody else out there that's interested in how it got started, smaller book called Karsten's Way. And anybody that's interested in that, I recommend going on you know Amazon or whatever, getting it. Um, it's a cool starter book that obviously, whoever put this together, Jeffrey Ellis, I think is his name. Uh, put together, it's called And the Putter Went Ping. Just a phenomenal book that goes through the history of how Carson started the company and the amazing inventions. And it got me thinking just, man, they really have revolutionized a lot of things. And I just don't think people understand the fact that they've done so many things. I mean, think about it. The Answer Putter still is the staple of every putter company. It's still the bar. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, I... Somebody, somebody could tell you what the percentage of, of answers versus all putters sold is. And it, it's got to be, you know, that, that answer style has got to be just a massive, massive, massive percentage, which is why every company has two or three flavors of it in their lineup <laughs> at least.
2: Yeah, so I just wanted to go around and, you know, give some kudos to them and ask everybody kind of, we did on Twitter yesterday, just saying, what's your favorite ping invention? And there's a lot of them. Um, so just go around the room and I'll see what do you think, Sam?
5: I have heard the story from the guys that developed turbulators and how they came about it, and all the testing that went in, and all the engineering. And I think just beyond the fact that of the performance benefits, I think just the whole story behind turbulators is really badass. So what what about it is most badass in your opinion? Just the fact that they have an innovation team and and the structure of their organization and how they came about. Okay, well we you know we think that this could help improve aerodynamics. All right, well let's let's build a prototype so they talk about how they build the prototype and how they do the testing and then they they see that it does have performance benefits okay well how do we go from prototype to be able to mass produce this on the top of a driver head you know you won't really see you'll see shaping and and uh materials designs in crowns you know multi-composite crowns and things like that but very rarely do you see such you know Exacerbated, I guess. Yeah, there's a line in the, the head. there's
2: a line in this book that Carson said, and I wish I had it, but I can't remember all the words in this book, unfortunately. <laughs> of, but words. basically, they he said like, I don't care how ugly this thing is, as long as it works, right? Yeah. And and to be honest with you, they've made some ugly clubs over the years, but <laughs> for, so there's
5: a method behind the madness. But it's func- there's always a method. It's the function.
0: Madness. It's function over form. Mm-hmm. Correct. And and you know, when they talk about being an engineering company first, I I think to me part of what's cool is that. It goes back to the foundational premise of who Karsten was. And you see that lived out through different clubs. I picked the I2 Wedge, the original Lob Wedge, because um, for me, it was one of the clubs that, you know, one of the very first clubs that other people put in their bag to play, even when they were on contract with other competing companies at that time. Um, and you didn't. You know it really didn't make the same number of waves at that time people didn't care about what's in the bag and right um that kind of stuff you know as much as they do now but i mean everybody had an i2 lob wedge in the bag and you can still trace to you know today what a lot of lob wedges are and look like again just like the answer putter um you know go back to that original i2 lob wedge not to mention the whole legal stuff with phil and the groove rule and the you know that's just kind of a interesting part of golf history sure. too but just the club itself um it's cool yeah for sure tony what do you think
1: i mean i i think the answer is probably too obvious um so i'll say i, I guess one that i've been I, I sort of was was laughingly i don't want to say dismiss it, but sort of treated as okay cool like i said cool bro no big deal right that the hydro pearl finish and this idea that that you can improve performance to some degree, right? Ping isn't trying to hit home runs with everything. Like, you can win a ball game with bunt singles, right? And and that's that's kind of the approach. And, and this idea that, or, or sort of the acknowledgement that that moisture on the club face or moisture between the the club and the ball is going to fundamentally change the performance. And so, if we can reduce that and improve consistency, to me, that's like. That's kind of a a really, really big deal that is only just kinda right now moving to the forefront and you're gonna I think it's one of those things where you're gonna start to see other companies doing more of it and talking about it more as we move forward. And like I said, I think we'll probably see some type of similar technology with a golf ball down the road. So I think in terms of you know, I like I like quiet little things that are are kind of big fucking deals and this is
2: the windproof head cover. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i mean that's just a great story right i mean just leaf blower testing a, a, a head cover oh. know, for wind resistance well yeah all right you know
2: my head is never it, blown
1: away a perfect example of like this is this is one little thing we can do that obviously whether you're whether your uh head cover blows away or not probably doesn't impact your performance unless you twist an ankle chasing it or something like that but it's still just like this is we're going to find some tiny little detail that may be overlooked and we're going to pay attention to it. Hey, when you, mm-hmm. I think it's that's just cool when
2: thing. you can do better, do better, right? Right. So, <clears throat> mine, I guess, I mean, there's so many of them, but I mean, just going back to the fact that we talk about a lot of evolutionary, not revolutionary, but they revolutionized a lot of things. And One of them was custom fitting for damn sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that color code system for lie angle really, I mean, changed the entire industry to, to start thinking about doing that you know Mm -hmm. and still to this day while they don't really use it as much uh they've evolved away from that or on top of that really the industry itself has definitely started focusing more and more and more on it you know
1: Mm -hmm. well there's still some places where where you go (coughs) and you go for a fitting and every fitting that you know uh, one of the kind of off course shops you know 25 minutes away from me Every fitting you do there starts with, with static thing fitting to the ping chart. So that I mean that's kind of their baseline still. So I mean, hey, obviously it's had an impact.
2: Yeah, for sure. And speaking of, you know, ping inventions, I can't kind of go without saying that there's an issue with one of and their inventions, you know and uh from somebody's
4: invention Somebody's. somebody's.
0: <laughs> that's the question there's an
2: issue with someone's invention <laughs> if you haven't heard of golf-patents.com uh david dossey runs the site and uh, he's an ip guy in the golf well not in the golf industry but kind of in the golf industry too uh covers something as you know niches golf patents and does a really good job at it and he uh, uncovered a, a patent infringement complaint from even roll putters against ping, and it has to do with what people for years told us didn't matter uh, and told us we were crazy, and that was putter grooves. And uh, when imagine the, that weird, <laughs> weird that they're all on putters now. Um, anyway, the ping catch a few years ago won two or three years a row of our putter tests, and it was this putter groove tech that, you know, helped off-center putts, uh, you know, stay on track a little bit better. And um,
1: – At least maintain speed, yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, basically Consist- like consistent consistency smash Consistency of Con- speed. Wow, I like that word. Yeah. It definitely didn't curve though, Phil Kenyon. Um, <laughs> Ouch. Oh, boy. Uh, anyway. Where is that napkin? Where is that napkin? <laughs> uh, anyway, that being said, the putter had won for a couple years in a row. And – you know, even roll putters comes out and does the same thing in our putters. Cleveland did well with a similar groove pattern. Weird thing was, what we saw was even roll grooves were staying the same. And the ping grooves were changing every year. Like, why are you changing a groove that won every year? You know, it was really just kind of odd. And Cleveland, same way. Um, and there were some rumblings that there were some stuff behind the scenes going on about, you know, the companies contacting each other and, you know, people infringing on this yeah. or that.
1: Carl's bad being Carlsbad and trickling down to Phoenix. I mean, you know, legal departments send letters back and forth all the time in the golf industry anyway, so yeah.
2: Yeah, so who know, like, who knows what's gonna happen with the lawsuit, but all I can tell you from our point of view, we've seen one groove pattern stay the same and we've seen all the other companies continue to change it and not really perform as well as they originally did. Um, I don't know what ultimately is going to come of it but um, you know that is something that's in the news in
0: regards to golf patents and ping, and so Uh, any thoughts on that well at the end of the day we know you know, in any litigious environment, somebody's going to win. And it's typically going to be the lawyers. So at least yeah. there will be one <laughs> one winner in there and, and somebody that. But, you know, I think, like Tony said, there, there is an element of this that's kind of a daily business type of thing where there's constantly letters and things getting tossed back and forth. But a bigger takeaway is, yeah, if grooves really didn't matter, people wouldn't sue over them. So there's, you know, there's the tangential conversation of, there's technology in your driver yeah there's a lot of technology and putters and this stuff does matter yeah and if people are willing to spend tens and potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars to protect their you know intellectual property around those grooves there's probably a benefit there yeah and and they know it and other companies know it and they're still waiting for consumers to catch up to what yeah you know, risk they reward
2: know. wise companies wouldn't be willing to infringe on things and they knowingly do that sometimes right. if it
0: If it didn't work, right? Right, like it's that simple. Like, let's not overcomplicate it, (laughs) you know? So that's a big takeaway for me, regardless of where things shake out and how they shake out. Yeah, from a golfer's perspective, what have you
2: seen? Like, obviously, when you first came in, you putted with the Ping Redwood.
0: Yeah,
5: yeah.
2: What have you seen difference-wise from not only our testing facility and the putter grooves that are out there now, but for you personally? I mean,
5: obviously, I thought, there was nothing to putters when I first came to my golf. By I just thought, okay, cool milled putter if it feels good and it. Scotty, you know. dude. Yeah, Scotty. <laughs> I, have a, I have a custom Scotty I had made in high school and all that. And um, while those feel great, I guess you don't really understand it until you see it happen in front of you. And then you get an even roll in your bag and you start winning tournaments and you're like, holy shit, this is the real deal. Um, and now I'm, you know, I have no doubt that there's serious performance benefits. I watched you, like
2: you said, go from hitting 25 foot putts and you know missing one, two feet off either side of the cup to literally burning the edges yeah. on every putt. And that's the difference really. Yeah. You know? And the better golfer you are, the less uh, re- reward you get from this putter groove technology because mm-hmm. the less you miss it, you know, the less right. benefits you're going to get. I don't get know, from this. dude.
5: I shot 64 one time. <laughs> Here we go. And we I ch- go. I chunked the eagle putt and it still went in. So, <laughs> uh, and I had an even roll in the bag. So. It's not
0: that's not even a humble brag. That's just <laughs> no. straight up brag. Tony <laughs> up. shot that on the front nine this week. Yeah, yeah,
5: well, but what I'm saying is I had the best round of my life, and I ch- I ha- I eagle the 16th hole because the even roll grooves helped me when I I literally was so nervous over this putt that I chunked it and it still went in. Yeah, I'm yeah, a terrible but
0: putter. but You don't know up. Glenn at Titleist, though. You still <laughs> don't know Glenn at Titleist. Actually, I have met Glenn at Titleist. Yeah, have I gotten a got? fitting? I've only been but able to observe a fitting. I've
5: not been fit by Glenn at Titleist. <laughs> All
2: right, so a couple new releases, one that dovetails right into the putter talk we were talking in face tech and grooves and everything, and a new one that we, we're just going to – you know, give a little bit of hints on to, but we really can't say anything until Tuesday on. One is the new Cleveland frontline putters. Uh interesting idea here. What you got? I mean, I to be honest with you,
5: I don't know that much, but I do know th- I know the center of gravity is forward, but I thought we were supposed to go rear wide with center of gravity
2: to increase MOI. No the sh- MOI, man.
5: No? No MOI. It's anymore. gone? That's Zero.
2: Out. That's night that's 2018, brother. Night. He gone. She gone.
1: Not just yeah. two it's that's like not even 2018. That was like, you know, uh,
2: That was 2000 to 2018.
1: <laughs> that was so August.
2: <laughs> so what rear and
1: back? Yeah.
2: Oh, man, I'll never forget, like before my golf spy, when all the new product would come out with the other business I ran in golf, every press release was basically from every company, a copy and paste version of every other one that they had come <laughs> out. With some, back. Yes, low and back debt. So, Tony, what do you think of this new Frontline Putter Series? Uh,
1: I will I will reserve judgment until we, we actually get them in and, and see how they perform, but... Um you know just as as my general rule and and probably something that, that golfers should keep in their in the back of their heads as well and this is this is a a marketing driven industry that is also sort of heavily commoditized right there's not a lot of difference from one product to the next and so very often when you hear of a new technology and again i can't say that this is the case here we haven't tested these but but very often, new technologies aren't so much performance-driven, but more differentiation-driven. Like, how, how can we do something that's different from everybody else? And, and sometimes different works, sometimes it doesn't. And I don't know. You know, th- this just, to me, feels a little bit like, hey, we, we're, we're doing something that's different, right? This is, this is our way to be different in the putter, ga- putter category. Yeah. And, not necessarily a way to be better in the putter category but hey let, let let's see what happens when they're tested anything is possible i yeah. guess
5: well it's just interesting to think about a putter company like cure for instance where they're they focus on these giant blade putters with MOI and weight just pushed so far to the outside that our testers have putted them and said they can't i don't even know what's going on with the putter when they're putting it um, and then you have this is like the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I feel like.
2: Well, you know, I think Tony put it well like just being different to be different is one angle, right? Yeah. But is it actually going to benefit golfers? We'll wait and see. I mean, they're basically saying in their marketing materials that a 15 foot putt becomes as easy as a 10 foot putt. Um, carbite putters for anybody mm, out there. I put
5: it with a carbite in middle school. Did you? Yeah, I bought it off a of TGW.
2: <laughs> yeah, so for all you that remember carbite, it's been done similarly yeah. before. Um, and what's old is new in the golf industry almost always. Uh, so wait and see. But it's called the Cleveland Frontline Putters. They look pretty nice. We got them in. Yeah, they um, look good. And at the end of the day, no different th- No different than the Tommy Armour $99 putter. If it, if it works, it works. And uh, Cleveland has differentiated themselves in a couple ways. One, and that is this new series, and one is that they are in that value area. Uh, What are the putters usually run, 129, 149? They're not the most expensive now, like 149. Yeah, I think think these are a little
4: more expensive. Well, it's got new t- it's well, new
5: tech well they've been i mean they they had the huntington beach line which was that hundred dollar full mill putter deep mill. F- had incredible subjective feedback from our test group and they People, actually
2: performed pretty well i don't know why they went away from that man like they should have kept trying to pound on it's that the, a little it's bit it's the d word dog what differentiate oh i thought you, were you gotta say be something different. different man i was like well
3: i was gonna go a completely different <laughs> phrase there. y'all get your minds out of the
5: gutter <laughs>
2: All right. Well, uh, moving on to the next thing, and that is Most Wanted Utility Iron of 2019. And we just wrapped that up. And Sam, take it from there. All right. So last week, we tried to announce
5: our winner, but unfortunately, the winner was uh, embargoed, so we couldn't announce it just on... When Test
1: Embargo, kind of a, a weird, different approach. Like, Obviously, everybody knew that the uh, the HMB existed. I mean, we put a story up what a month ago. Yeah. Uh, but no, no sort of hit test results. Whether it's Most Wanted or, or the YouTube guys, nobody was allowed to actually show real world. I hit a golf ball with it. Performance before yesterday. So, so different approach to an embargo. Hopefully, that doesn't become a common thing. So Drum if, you roll.
5: Ha- if you haven't read the Most Wanted utility article. Of 2019. The winner was the Mizuno MP20 HMB. That's the.
3: Hot
1: f- Mother Bitch.
5: That's actually the official name for it. No, it stands for Hot Metal Blade. Uh, <laughs> it is a hollow body construction iron featuring, you know, Mizuno's grain flow foraging. They're all about it. Um, th- this one does it's have. Yeah, face and hosel only, and then obviously with the multi-material uh, head, it's it's. Hollow, I mean, it
3: feels it feels one of the best driving irons I've ever hit. It was
5: rated the best subjectively among the test group too. So. It,
3: it feels it feels as soft as the blade. You know, if they say soft as a blade, blah blah blah, but it feels like one of those soft wedges, but the forgiveness yeah. of a. Uh, hybrid kind of
5: we should have known that it was going to be a good iron when tony came down the facility and was hitting it high long and straight so
4: (laughs)
1: yeah he was was surprised exceptionally (laughs) weird um yeah and i guess the thing that i would say about about the hmb and i I, i'm going to go out on a limb and assume that it's true beyond just the two utility but you know anybody especially mizuno fans may or may not agree but I always found that if you were going from like an MP series iron, so you know what, pick one, right? Like the MP18s, for example, that I had in my bag uh, last year for a bit. If you went once you went from the MP18, the kind of the full forge construction, down to like a fly high, you, you know there was a, an appreciable difference in feel, and you're like, yeah, it's it's okay, but it, it doesn't feel like the rest of my set. I, I hit that HMB, and I'm like, oh my god, this. This feels like the MP20s that I've, I've been messing around with for the last two, three weeks, however long I've had them. It's just yeah. like, yeah, this, this belongs in this lineup without any sort of real appreciable feel degradation. And, and considering that you're moving from grain flow forged HD construction in the MB and the MMC to a full hollow body design, it, it's actually pretty incredible that, that they've maintained that, that feel. To yeah. a larger group. Uh, well, that was. Apart from the fact that I hit it long and straight, I was just like, "Whoa, okay." Yeah. Well, good really, job.
2: really quickly, just for everyone listening that wants to know, you know, that hasn't read it, uh, might not have time to today. Give the rundown of who the winners were, and then what you liked about each one.
5: So obviously, Mizuno mp <clears> 20 <throat> HMB is the overall winner. I like it. You know, Tony hit on it really hard about the feel and the performance of it is really good. But I'll say that the HMB is. Was one of the lower launching utility irons in our test. It was low spinning. So if you're looking for something that's a nice transition from your irons to a two iron, so if you play a bunch of hybrids, this probably isn't the right utility iron
2: for you. Well, you could go with the three or four. In yeah.
5: The- well, yeah, and that's the other thing about the HMB is you can go all the way up to you know the mid irons with the HMB. You can get a whole set of HMB shit.
2: You can get puffs. You can
4: go all the way to the
1: pitching wedge with yeah. the HMB. Stuff. Well, yeah, let's, so- let's a
2: quick note: if you are going to the article day and you're looking at it and you're clicking on the button to take you to that product. It's going to take you to the full set right now because I don't even think the individual product's ready, which is nothing we could really do about it right now because of the timing. But uh, you can special order it from Mizuno uh, in an individual iron, correct?
5: Yes, you absolutely can. They have their own SKU for that product. So if you want the HMB, just the two iron, which is the one that we tested, you can absolutely get that. We'll jump over to the Ping G410 crossover, which is the longest. Uh, Not the best rated for subjective feedback off the center of the club face. Not a lot of golfers really like this one. Um, and actually, it's funny because our data show that this isn't for the average raw numbers. It's not the longest. And I think it's short by two yards. But in our stat sig, you know, we run through the data through the statistical significance. And for the highest number of testers, this was one of their longest irons. So you know if you need pure distance off the tee in a in a crossover iron that's not going to have a super wide sole and it comes stock with a graphite shaft this is a really good product uh, to consider and then jumping over to the title is u510 which one most forgiving which is again one of those clubs that didn't receive good uh, that, can, can, can we talk about that. for me
3: for me that is a big surprise because it felt like
5: shit well if you go from tmb which was a slightly clickier version of any other titleist iron that a lot of people really like the feel of a tmb and then you jump into a u500 Well, the u500 felt
3: clunky it felt empty yeah mishits, it, yeah, mis-hits. mis-hits i li- it felt like a blade that was coming up the shaft and into my hands on a cold day yeah uh, and no, when you
2: it's it was just one of those ones where i'm just i'm disappointed well, here's the interesting thing about that. People all the time, this is where I love our testing, right? We all hit it and went, wow, this is two things. It doesn't feel good, and it doesn't seem forgiving at all, yeah. right? And then guess what ends up being the most forgiving?
3: Exactly, which is mind-boggling, but we've been preaching it for a long time now. Correct.
2: But, Don't always go with how something yeah. feels, right? But I was, go with the data. But
5: his, I was watching people do the test, and I'm like, okay. They would be like, you know, just monitoring someone. They hit a path, Oh man, I hit that so bad. You can hear it. Yeah. That title list does not sound good when you don't hit it well. But the ball speeds were still good. I'm like, what's going on yeah, here? Yeah, oh, so no. that,
3: that's the thing is you you have that factor within person. within within a golf shot and when they're over playing. But when you when you're overshot and you say you need to pitch at two hundred yards or two twenty over water or whatever and you ha- that's the club
5: you need pitch to hit it. do you have that means fly it in the air right <laughs> yes okay pitch it means fly it in the air okay Sh- shut up <laughs> <laughs> but
3: do you have confidence looking down and knowing that you're going to hit a good shot yeah that's- just
5: for just for the record the u510 which one most forgiving is the larger of the two so they have the u500 and the u510 yeah. the 510 is a little bit wider a sole longer blade bigger profile
3: yeah so so that's that's one of the biggest things is do you feel confident of hitting this golf shot with this club in your hand? And I think that's that's a twenty five percent of it when you look down yeah. when you're when you're over that shot is giving you self confidence, in my opinion. I think Adam disagrees. Oh yeah, he does.
2: Uh, I mean, we just found out that's not true. Yeah. No, but you <laughs> didn't. You didn't feel confident over it, and guess what? It was still your the most hum, forgiving. The
3: human
5: element does must
3: play a factor. Must have
1: had a very supple grip. <laughs> <laughs>
5: No, I mean, oh, I think God. I think there's some validity to what Harry's saying. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a I bit want more... to
2: play a club that I like to look at, right? But it doesn't really come to find out impact the data, right? Right.
5: Well, and in, in any sense, if you're looking for uh, agree, a U five ten. If you're looking for a very forgiving utility iron, the Titleist U five ten is a fantastic option. It's brand new from Titleist, and they've got two out there, both really good. Um, jumping down to best value, you've got the Tour Edge HL four. Uh, which is a new offering from Torage. They just came out with the HL4 line this year. Um, s- subtle differences to what they had in the HL3 line, still good nonetheless. The HL4 is really cool, kind of like the HMB line from Mizuno. You can get a full set of HL4 uh, Ironwood. They're called the Ironwood Utilities. Um, so you can go all the way up to 2 Iron, which I think they come in at Any, 17 degrees.
2: All I remember the, in the back of Golf Digest, you know, like, the advertisements in the very back that couldn't really afford like the quarter page or whatever <laughs> you know like the little ones in the back the classifieds. Yeah. do you remember the wedge Always woods? The most fun. <laughs> yes do you remember the wedge wood ones like where it was the full set of wedges that turned into you know woods it was the yeah, the me
3: wedge and, me and sam have no clue what you're going on <laughs> yeah right i'm like now. okay <laughs> you're showing your
2: age now <laughs> i might yeah that's probably true
5: Either way, the HL4 is really cool. It's it's super affordable. This is the company that has really put themselves in that value brand, and, and with Exotics EXS, they call it pound for pound performance. So these guys, they make good product, and if you're looking to save a buck, uh, don't let the HL4 slip out of your hands.
2: There you go. All right, well, um, other than that, we've got the hurricane, like we said. Right. Harry, now, how
5: was hurricane testing? Uh, wet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you look dry. Did oh you yeah, have
3: the, did I had I had most
2: wanted uh, rain gear on too. I, I saw Sam come up in the Galway Bay today.
3: Mm-hmm. Damn right. Can't beat
2: that. I know so, that will cross. So uh, what are you what are you finding in the umbrella testing? That's interesting. Anything because you know I know umbrellas are really interesting to the listener. So uh, what can we tell them?
3: <laughs> um, I mean, there's a couple of differentiators between obviously umbrella to umbrella. Some actually don't keep you dry which is an interesting um, Wait, what? <laughs> concept. <It's>
1: small flaw. <laughs> yeah, so
3: <laughs> some some materials that you see in the umbrella, you can see oh. through the umbrella. Um, obviously, it's not the plastic see-through, the actual, you know, transparent, but it's it's one of those materials where you can see trees in the background if you look through it, and therefore, when tested, the rain actually comes through them, so. Can I ask you a question?
5: Mm-hmm. Are those good for anything?
2: uh image maybe hey yeah like if you want to if they're uv protected you know and you want to be like michael jackson you could like keep yourself out you could do that there you go. a little yeah. parasol yeah
3: um but it's interesting to see that a lot of major manufacturers are actually s- sourcing their umbrellas from a smaller company and and this is not uncommon but it's it still sense, it's What's still that, interesting
1: uh, it makes sense right like if you're a if you're a big golf company, a moderate sized golf company, like, you know, why why are you going to devote R&D resources to
2: an umbrella? Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question you about that. Them. Why make an umbrella then?
1: Uh, because you have a tour staff that mm. is going to be seen on TV in wet conditions. Mm. But why so you sell, a, why sell an there? umbrella then? Because uh, you, you already had to make a few for your tour guys. Why not? I mean, you have... Yeah, and I we know do. Well, well, no, if, 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 if
3: there's a few, if you're making a few, you're making, like, say, 50.
1: They're not making 50. Well, no, they're making, again, like, six, seven... Production runs don't work 100. like that to begin with. And so, you know... And, and additionally, you do have loyal fans, right, who... Loyal brand fans, guys who who want to be Callaway everything or Titleist everything or Taylor made everything. So, if you can sell them an umbrella uh, along with a new driver and a set of clubs, why the hell not? So, well, well, especially this, if you can sell them
3: year, a good umbrella? I mean, this year, Titleist have um, made.
2: Oh, just call them out, huh? Out
3: sh- out. Shed Rain. I mean, Shed Rain's a great company. So. <laughs> You are gonna get a good umbrella if you go for the down the title Hey, route. well, if
2: you're gonna if you're gonna outsource to somebody, shed rains a good umbrella. To uh, for outsource.
3: sure, yeah, right. it's it's one of those ones that you you know you're gonna get a good product. That I still there. love
2: the my umbrella, but they don't make. Shit, them man,
3: I don't. Yeah. I don't even. Blame I tested. I tested that it. thing, and <laughs> you have like half a coverage. Because obviously it's designed to go. You turn it the other way and it covers you more. Are we, are we talking about speakers right now? <laughs>
4: You're going to keep turning this shit?
3: Like, we need, ob- we need
5: omnidirectional yeah. protection here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, shit.
1: Have we talked about
2: umbrellas enough yet? Uh, Harry has not.
3: No, I have him. not. But, Tony, we can go back to you and your. Um, uh, on the USGA because I don't think you got your shit out for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, you I, want to I, go back and talk about driver yeah. testing, Tony?
5: <laughs> I just think one of the interesting things about manufacturers, especially the big boys, like it's pretty, I mean, we were admittedly a little surprised to see when you pulled out the shed rain and you had that open, unfortunately, inside, which I do not like that you open umbrellas inside. But you had the umbrellas open inside, and then you opened the Titleist one. <laughs> He's stitches. And it was the same freaking umbrella. And I, I sat there, I was like, you know, these these companies have these big innovation teams to push the limits of technology and figure out how to get us more ball speed on a driver. But it's a simple, you know. Well, so you think it's simple. But just but for them to outsource their product to yeah, to he, shed rain, it's like, well, why not?
3: Well, I'm going to come up with every single uh, self-gets category and make it myself. You I think we're
2: getting ready to get umbrellas. a deep tip right now we are i don't know it sounded like it have a deep
3: tip for people if you're going to make a good product make sure you do it yourself
2: Mm, okay that wasn't very deep
3: but yes it wasn't (laughs) i wasn't prepared
2: cut cut that matt cut that (laughs) edit that out no
3: keep that in i i I wasn't prepared for this deep tip segment today
2: (laughs) oh man all right next up we posed the question on twitter for anybody to ask us a question any golf gear related questions and we'll take wendell laughing what do you guys think the percentage of golfer is who actually get fit for the right equipment um i did studies on this years ago it's been a long time but the number was actually like 99 percent plus of golfers that had not been fit properly for every club in their bag so that means less than 1% of golfers had been fit for every club in their bag.
3: Well, even PJ pros, some of them don't even get fit from head to
2: toe. Yeah. Right,
3: even putter like including putter.
2: One of the most amazing stats I ever saw, I think came from Ping and that was the fact that 85% of PJ tour pros had not been fit for a putter. Those are the people that are telling you what putter yeah. you should be playing, you know. So, yeah, so that's one. Um 99% plus of people
1: from Hopefully what I remember, that
5: number has dropped since well, yeah, well I think, I think out. it
1: probably isn't much lower than that. I think if you look at individual segments of the bag, right? So I think I think we we hopefully, I wouldn't be shocked if we learned that we'd cross the 50% threshold with drivers, right? More than 50% of golfers very likely get some form. And I'm sure the manufacturers could, you know, you're going to have a little bit of different data from each one. But I think we're probably above 50% for drivers. Iron's almost everybody has some degree of fitting because most golf shops don't stock a ton of sets so even if it's just getting fit for for lie angle or something like that there there's probably a very high percentage of iron fitting once you go into the hybrid category ask any manufacturer it's next to nothing i know that the vokey guys are are trying to figure out you know why wedge fitting is is so rare so you know individual categories if you, if you want to talk to somebody who's been Find somebody who's been fit for one, you know, all fourteen clubs in the bag. Yeah, it's 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 probably one percent. All
2: right, on to the next question, and it's a pretty good one. Um, from not Mark Podbury. This so is
5: probably Mark Podbury.
2: Probably not Mark Podbury. So it's not him. Not him. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this one is for Tony. What do you think about the woeful tolerances in clubs sent out by manufacturers?
1: Uh, like, how much more do you want to pay? I mean, this, these are realities, right? And you have stated tolerance. Yeah, perfect world, everybody would be right on the number. Uh, very often, they're they're not right on the number, especially if you're buying off the rack. Generally, when you when you buy something custom, whether it's uh, a custom shaft or, you know, obviously, hopefully if you're, you're if you're ordering a custom loft, it comes in at the right loft. But yeah, you know, the reality is like every. Every single piece of a golf club has a tolerance, right? So you have, or multiple tolerances even. So shafts are, are going to have weight tolerances, and, and heads have weight, and lie and loft tolerance, and grips have tolerances. So, I mean, yeah, you, you can get something 100% on spec. It is possible to do that, but it, every every bit of tolerance, every tightening costs money, right? Because there's time and effort involved. Put it and- this way,
2: we've measured a lot of companies, you know, years ago, remember when we did pretty much every uh, company, everybody had tolerance issues. It wasn't anyone, no one was perfect, you know? So, there are tolerances, be- that word exists because there are tolerances, you know, in the manufacturing process, right? So, like Tony said, what do you want to pay? Uh, tighter tolerances cost more, um, believe it or not the costs aren't that much more from club to club but it all adds up right and like Tony said
1: 100,000 times any amount of money is a lot of money
2: well and I think one of the interesting
5: <laughs> things too is that like I was just walking through Mizuno's manufacturing plant and Jeff was walking me through he's like yeah here's our loft line machines this is where every club in the, in the set goes through and they check everything and, um, and he was like you know sometimes we'll get a situation where we'll do a custom build and the guy will say well you didn't do my lofts right well then, okay, send them back. We'll check on our machine. The lofts are what you ask them to be. It's the machine that you use, so the, the different calibrations could be different. You could be—it's just like the CT situation where uh, you're using one machine to test CT and you're using another. Well, There's we have two loft right and lime
2: machines in our facility, yeah. and they're not exactly the same. Right. and they're two of the premier loft and lime machines in the industry. Yeah.
5: So you know, it, it's all relative, <clears throat> I guess. If you know, if that means anything. Yeah.
2: The next one is from Tom Higgins. How come there are no more two woods, Tom? No one buys them, so they stop selling them.
1: Well, no, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's,
2: it's, people love the one. What do you
1: call it, right? So I, I carry a 13 and a half degree three wood. Some people would call that a, Tee, a two wood. It, uh, PST, for example, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's 13 or 13 and a half, but they call it a two wood. So, well, let me just put it this way. Yeah. People like the big dog, not
2: the small time dog. Time you know what I mean? So,
1: Yeah, they didn't yeah. say let's a small dog eat, did
3: they? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> it's the big dog. But if you want yeah, a two wood, I'm sure you can find something like Tony said, Tom. You know that is basically a two wood, just not named a two wood It's anymore.
3: a strong three wood. Just yeah. Get yourself a T-less. Yeah.
2: You no just joke, paint. Right? You
5: just paint the number two no. on. I mean.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to the last thing, and that is uh, something that we think is pretty cool. It took a while to put together, but I think it's worthwhile for somebody out there, and that's the Titleist contest that we just announced. Uh, so for everyone out there that hasn't seen it it is
1: amazing
2: (laughs) you can't win or Uh heard about it i entered for it i don't know if i'll win (laughs) yeah i I definitely definitely entered for it too i might five or or six times are
1: are you saying yeah go ahead never mind go ahead
2: (laughs) so one of the my gospel readers or one of the people that subscribe to our youtube channel is going to win an all-expense paid trip that means hotel airfare car and a get fit like a pro service from Titleist TPI. So you're gonna get all the woods, all the irons, all the wedges, and the experience kind of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, The one that Tony Tony got.
1: We can't promise you this, but it's possible that whoever wins will actually get to go see Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) He may be there.
2: (laughs) Oh man, so yeah, so anyway, go on to our YouTube channel uh it's youtube.com for slash my golf spy and you have to be subscribed uh, for a chance to win and that is probably one of the coolest contests we've had since i think i found tony covey with the biggest golf forum contest ever is not that how we discovered each other
1: i think so that was oh my god 10 years ago so, I sorry I adam but <laughs> sorry for
2: he came for the free shit and he's still here 10 years later.
4: He's <laughs> still, yeah. still got the free I want, shit. I
1: want to say it was like MP53s, maybe?
2: Ooh, that was a good
3: set of iron. fifty why, why seven? Why Mizuno going down in numbers? Mizuno does what Mizuno wants. <laughs> yeah, right. Now they're down to MP20s.
1: Right I, I don't PA want to throw anybody under the bus but there are people at mizuno who don't fully understand
2: <laughs> what is your favorite name of a mizuno club tony
1: um i don't know the a donkey, no, the donkey, donkey shovel man oh yes yes well yeah but that that was japan only the donkey <laughs> shovel which uh and, and all the talking of the donkey shovel we forget that the donkey shovel was actually released right next to the big sneeze. So I believe one was a lob wedge and one was a sand wedge. And these are can we get actual these?
4: legitimate
1: catalog? We have the catalog somewhere. Images. These these were real Mizuno product names. I had big to. Sneeze, I, that was a lot shovel. of
2: work to get those images. Remember?
1: Yeah. No we we had to we had to call a guy in Japan or yeah. at least send him an email.
2: Yeah, for sure. Mm. All right. Well, that's no puts given episode fourteen, um, Harry. Good luck with the hurricane testing. Thank you. Everybody have a good weekend. Harry bought a house, by the way, so congratulations. I appreciate it. His I can't afford
3: it, but <laughs> dustbin is going to be my next house. What is? A dustbin. <laughs>
2: uh, so but anyway. Sam's,
3: Sam's not going to be here next week. He's going to go to France, La there with a croissant with Chris. Yep, we're um, traveling to France. So it might just be us three tomorrow, tomorrow uh,
5: next,
4: next week, next, next, Friday. next Friday, yeah. yeah.
5: Well, I'm going to Skype in from the Alps. We could do that. On a bike. Shut up. (laughs) On a bike in the Alps.
2: (laughs) Maybe next week.
5: Me and Chris will selfie Skype.
2: There you go. Until next week, we'll see you then. We out.
4: Bye-bye.